Welcome to Prisoner Worth Watching, where we're looking at this groundbreaking 50-year-old show about spies, paranoia, and politics that's more relevant now than ever. I'm your host, a man who's just looking to find a quiet drink in this godforsaken town. My co-host is Guy, who is frequently locked up in the local jail for his own protection. <laughs> Hello, Guy. Hello, Ron. So how's your fast draw coming along? Pretty slowly so far. <laughs> you might want to work on it. Seems to be helpful around here. <laughs> I'll say right up front, you know, you discover this as you're watching it, but we're going to be getting into it shortly. This is a Western episode, mm. and there's one reason this episode exists, <laughs> and that's because Patrick McGowan had always wanted to do a Western. <laughs> so, uh-huh. In general, I'm not a fan of the episodes that happen outside of the village and that break the format, and several of those are in the ones that I pull out of the series. But I make an exception for this one. It ju- I just like it, and and I'm telling you that up front. And we'll see. We'll see if Guy agrees by the end here. Mm-hmm. And speaking of breaking the format, you may recall that in our discussion of the first episode, Arrival, I mentioned that in the intro, the person Patrick McGoon is yelling at in every episode is the script editor George Markstein, and that eventually their actual relationship mirrored the argument that we see in the intro. They were clashing all the time. At the time, Guy joked that it was a good thing that the script editor didn't resign himself, but it turns out that he did. (laughs) There was a breaking point. He couldn't take it anymore. One of the things he was apparently trying to do was to shape cookie-cutter Mission of the Week stories that would fit well for an ongoing series. And as we know, McGowan had no interest in an ongoing series, and he certainly had no interest in cookie-cutter stories, which is why he had quit Danger Man. Mm Mm-hmm. After Mark Stein resigned is when McGowan started going in a more esoteric direction with the stories, I think, for better or worse. And this was the first of those where he and a new person got to do something just wacky that they wouldn't have been able to do with George Mm -hmm. Markstein. This was a complex episode with a lot of stunts. And so where normally episodes were filmed in a couple weeks, this was filmed over five weeks. With a lot of the pre-work being done while McGowan was off filming the movie Ice Station Zebra. And I've heard, although I haven't absolutely confirmed this, that this episode was not shown in the U.S. as being more or less a retelling of the excellent movie High Noon. It was seen as an anti-Vietnam War episode, which we were in the middle of Mm. at the time. And so they felt it was wrong to show it. Did you ever see High Noon? It's been a while, but I've seen it, and off the top of my head, I don't see a huge 
connection there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have, uh, I, I think, the as we will see, the connection is you have the guy who's protecting a town, but then kind of disgusted by it, and he does resign at the end and mm. and that sort of thing. So, although, you know, in High Noon, he resigns at the end instead of the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and now, with all that, let's get on to Living in Harmony. All right. Welcome to Harmony, stranger. Harmony. Never heard of it. Not many people have, senor. It's sort of exclusive. So am I. Where is this town? You'll find out, senor. It's not wise to ask too many questions here. Hey, hombre. You look like a man who could use a drink. Why you not try this saloon? At the beginning, the show starts off a little differently. We don't get our standard intro that we're accustomed to. Instead, we get a scene of the desert, and we hear a little Spanish guitar playing. So uh, we know right away that this is a, a western or something very close to one. Number six is riding a horse, and he rides it to the marshal's office. We don't see where the marshal's office is, and it's not important. This is really just the equivalent of the bureaucracy he resigned from <laughs> in the usual intro. He goes into the marshal's office at any rate. He turns in his sheriff badge, his gun belt, and his pistol. And apparently he had to turn in his horse, too. <laughs> he's carrying <laughs> his saddle down the road. And as he's walking along, he goes down a grassy hillside, and there's a man waiting for him, just sort of your normal western cowboy attire. Then he pulls a gun on number six. They get into a big fight, and they're in mid-fight when number six notices that five other men are watching, so mm. the odds aren't great. <laughs> and they quickly subdue him. Yeah, and this is the point where the episode title comes up, but did you notice they never say the prisoner? If you were watching this on TV and you didn't know what you were watching, they never tell you. Oh, yeah, I didn't notice that. No. Yeah, no. so you don't have the intro theme, you don't have any of that. We should say up to now it's been silent, sort of like in the original, other than the environmental sound. Mm. No dialogue while he was resigning, etc. Oh, yeah. So the, after they've subdued him, we see the main thoroughfare of the little town of Harmony. It mostly looks like your typical Western movie set town. You know, <laughs> it's basically a bunch of businesses arranged around a, a main street. In this case, it's got kind of like a town common where there are a couple trees growing. and So it's, it's a very obviously western town, although if you look carefully, to me it looks like some of the architecture is a bit European. You know, not stuff you would commonly see in, in the Old West. But they do a good job of westerning it up in the <laughs> false fronts and some of the buildings and so forth. And number six is slumped over the back of a horse, and he's dropped right there in the street in harmony, and the men who brought him here just ride off. They don't stick around to taunt him or anything like that. They just ride away after they drop him on the ground. There's a man nearby, apparently Mexican, because he has a sombrero and he has a, a Spanish accent. He welcomes number six to harmony. Number six says he hasn't heard of it, then the Mexican says, it's sort of exclusive. <laughs> so right from the start, we're kind of getting vibes of 
this town being a Western equivalent of the village. And in fact, the Mexican goes on to say that it's not wise to ask too many questions, which is a common refrain in the village. And number six is still carrying his saddle. The men who abducted him kindly let him bring it along. <laughs> yeah, and I never, I've never, i never seen this image of someone carrying their saddle like this, but when I thought about it, it makes sense, right? Those must have been expensive. Yeah. If you don't have a horse or you're between horses or whatever, I guess that's what you would do. You just And the, the thing is huge. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, in Red Dead Redemption 2, actually, if, if you lose your horse, you may have to carry your saddle for a <laughs> while. So at least in that regard, it's realistic. <laughs> the Mexican suggests that number six should visit the saloon. So maybe he's just out there to drum up business for the saloon. Yeah, that kind of struck me. I've had cab drivers like that, right? They drop you off somewhere <laughs> and then say, oh, you should go over here. Yeah. <laughs> So number six enters the saloon, still carrying his saddle, and in a good old Western trope, as soon as he enters, the piano music stops. <laughs> Everybody just stares at him. He heads up to the bar, and the bartender slides a shot of whiskey down the counter, and he says it's on the house. There's a saloon gal there standing next to number six at the bar, and she says regulars get the first one on the house. She introduces <laughs> herself as Kathy. Number six reaches for the glass, and it's shot to pieces before he can pick it up. And a voice says, come and join me, Sheriff. Well, number six had his heart set on the whiskey, so he orders <laughs> a whiskey, and this time he gets to drink it. When he's reaching out for it, he hesitates for a second. Yeah, he's not sure yeah, if it's going to get shot. <laughs> it's a little, little gingerly there, yeah. <laughs> So number six goes to see who uh, who's talking to him. It turns out it's a man that we'll come to know as the judge. He's a gray-haired man. He's got a black suit coat, a white ruffled shirt, and he's got a black string tie, if you can picture like uh, the kind that Colonel Sanders, I think, wears. <laughs> and next to him is somebody who seems like he might be a bodyguard. This This we'll get to know as the kid. He's wearing a red shirt, and I believe it's called a Henley shirt. It's like old-timey underwear, basically. It's similar to a T-shirt, but with longer sleeves and with, uh, with a few buttons going up the front. But basically a T-shirt. And the fact that it's red, I think, is important because everyone else is wearing more subdued colors, so this kid stands out very much throughout the show, and we'll see he's a very important character. Right, right. And he does have uh, one distinctive feature that's kind of jarring next to this underwear shirt that he's wearing. It's a black top hat. <laughs> and he's holding a gun and standing near the judge. And number six does what you probably should do if you see a guy wearing underwear and a top hat. He, <laughs> he decks him. My take is the reason he does this is that presumably this is the guy who shot the drink and right. number six didn't appre yeah, right. you know didn't appreciate losing his whiskey <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah i think it's i think it's almost a certainty that this is the <laughs> this is the man who shot the shot as it were so he's down for the count the kid is lying on the floor the judge is sitting at the table playing solitaire and he doesn't seem too phased by all the action going on he tells number six i know all about you that's why you're here Number six says, where? And the judge says, here. <laughs> so Usual useful answers. <laughs> yeah. The kid comes to, he gets up off the floor, and he's covered in sawdust. He's brushing it off his nice little top hat. 
He gives number six a hostile look, but the judge waves him off. He, the judge seems to be the boss man in these parts. The judge says, regarding the kid, he says, sensitive, but one of the best. He's hey. mean. Number six says, you've got plenty of those. The judge says, I could use some more, like yourself, for instance. Number six goes on to explain that he's not in the law enforcement business now. He just uh, recently handed in his badge and gun and all that stuff for his last job. And the judge asks, what were your reasons? <laughs> and, uh, of course, this is the refrain of the prisoner. They're always trying mm -hmm. to find out what was he thinking when he resigned. And to the question, what were your reasons, number six answers simply, my reasons. <laughs> and it's around this part of the scene where you, you start really noticing the judge just has this shrewd little smug look on his face a lot of the time. He's really kind of an oily character. If you've read Atlas Shrugged, I think this guy could have played uh, President Thompson or Mr. Thompson, <laughs> they call him. He's just kind of a, I mean, it's good acting. He, he just, you know, he intends, the actor intends to come off this way, but it's still mm. just kind of, uh, you just dislike him from the start. At least I did. The judge wants to employ number six, but number six says, I'm moving on. He picks up his saddle and he's, uh, he's about to leave, but then he sees the henchmen gathered at the bar. He sets down the saddle. He shows them a silver dollar and he throws it to the floor. I'm not sure if that was to pay for his whiskey that he ordered earlier or what the deal is, but. Yeah, I thought he threw it onto the bar, but yeah, I, I think it was to pay for his, his whiskey, yep. But at any rate, he gets out of the saloon without starting a fight. Now, the saloon is called the Silver Dollar, and it advertises prickly pear beers. <laughs> so I'm wondering if even here, if they're just serving the village fake alcohol stuff. Well, I was thinking it was the original IPA, right? <laughs> <laughs> Could be that, too. Although, uh... Nobody ever comments on the uh, the whiskey being fake, so there's a chance that they're actually giving him the good stuff for once. Mm -hmm. Don't know. Anyway, he goes to the library. He wants a horse to put his saddle on. The manager says one of the horses sold recently for $5,000. Number six asks about the rest, and the manager says they're expensive. <laughs> that is a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, especially in Wild West days, mm -hmm. yeah. Two men in the street ask number six if he fancies living in a harmony. And uh, the shot is a little deceptive because we, at first we just see the two men, but as he walks past and they turn to follow him, we see there's a whole crowd right nearby and it's mm -hmm. following as he walks and as they pursue him. They're asking him various questions about what he thinks about the town and trying to make a case for what a wonderful town it is. Finally, the Mexican gets insulted by number six's resistance to the town's <laughs> charms. It gets to the point where the crowd is agitated and number six has to pick up a log to defend himself. But at that point, two men with guns, there's some more of the henchmen that we've seen about town. They heard number six to the sheriff's office where the judge is waiting for him. In the sheriff's office, the judge tells number six that he's in protective custody <laughs> and the henchmen lock him up. Yeah, it's always yep. nice to have people looking out for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's awful thoughtful, I think. 
So at the same time the henchmen release a man in the other cell, that man's name is Johnson. And when they take him outside, the crowd has a rope, a tree, and a horse all ready for him. Kathy, the saloon gal, she runs up and says, You can't hang my brother. And she goes on to say something about how they had promised not to hang him. It's not clear exactly what the whole situation is, but she's protesting. The henchmen restrain her, and they do hang him. Yeah, they smack the horse and have it run off. This all happens pretty quickly, and there's a lot going on. And honestly, Mm -hmm. I think a couple times I've watched this, I didn't really catch that he was her brother and they killed her brother, which is actually important because it explains her motivation for what she's going to do in the rest of the episode. Yeah, definitely, definitely does uh, give her a little impetus, although that's, of course, within a larger context that we will find (laughs) out about for a while. (laughs) He gets hanged anyway. Back in the sheriff's office, number six is rolling a cigarette in his cell, and the kid comes in, and he has some drinks, and he practices quick draw on number six. Mm-hmm. And he's, he, he seems pretty sloshed. He doesn't seem very coordinated, and he does a <laughs> weird thing when he practices a quick draw. He, With his free hand, he just sort of thrusts it out into space, like he's doing a musical number or something. <laughs> And there's music, the the background music in this scene, I can't describe it. You'll have to put a clip in here mm-hmm. because it's it's what I would describe as weird, crazy person music. It's sort of uh, it's calculated to make you think uh, this guy ain't right, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the kid is kind of a kind of an odd fellow. We should mention because it may not be obvious from our descriptions in this story of of the town in in the western. This kid never says one word. Right. Yeah. All of his acting is just physical acting. We'll talk about it later, but I think it's it's pretty amazing what he pulls off. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's a, it's it's a interesting little role. I mean, he's he's playing the kind of guy that is hard to like. <laughs> but the actor does a good job with it. <laughs> so anyway, he's causing all this distraction. Eventually, once he's got a cigarette rolled, number six just covers his eyes with his hat to get rid of the distraction. <laughs> yeah, some time passes, and later on, the kid is... Sitting at the sheriff's desk, he's kind of curled up in a fetal position in the sheriff's chair, if I remember right. And Kathy from the saloon comes in, the woman whose brother was hanged earlier this very day. She comes in with a bottle of liquor for the kid. And the kid starts to kiss her, but she says, how about pouring me one? So he goes to find a glass. He starts rummaging through the drawers of the sheriff's desk, which is... If I were sheriff, that would be where you'd look for the glass, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) While he's doing that, she filches the keys to the cell, which are hanging right out on the wall Mm. where they always are in westerns. He pours each of them a drink, the kid does, and he goes for another kiss, but she begs off so she has to get back to the saloon. Well, the kid commences drinking in earnest once she's gone. And meanwhile, she shows up at number six's cell window with the keys. Mm. She leaves them sitting on the sill. 
Later on, we see that the kid is so drunk that he actually drops his glass, which is alcohol abuse. <laughs> so number six makes his way to the library, and he steals a horse, which in the Old West, that's a crime punishable by death. Mm. Because horses are, you know, especially out in remote rural areas, horses are your means of transportation. So stealing somebody's horse is a very serious crime. But he steals one anyway, and... Just as he's gotten the horse out of the library and all ready to go, Kathy is there. She shows up with a canteen for him and a valuable piece of information or something that sounds like a valuable piece <laughs> of information that doesn't turn out to be especially useful. She tells him that due north is the only way out of town. Apparently the town is in the midst of a canyon or some such thing. And it's interesting Number six doesn't say anything to her through all this, and he hasn't said anything to her uh, mm -hmm. when she left the keys on the window of the jailhouse, or he doesn't even say thanks a lot. You know, he, he just rides out. Right. <laughs> and that comes back to why I think it's important to realize that it's, it seems like all of her actions are motivated by her brother being killed. So she wants to help out somebody else who's kind of in the same situation. But it's definitely yeah. not because he, you know, no, yeah, as you say, number six hasn't done anything to deserve her <laughs> attention. Right. <laughs> so back in the sheriff's office, while number six has been escaping, the kid is still sleeping off his drunkenness. And the judge wakes him up properly. <laughs> he gives the kid a couple good slaps for his dereliction of duty. And rightly so. I think I thought was funny about this was once he was woken up and he almost, uh, he quick draws on the judge before he realizes what's going on. Mm -hmm. Then he realizes that he's allowed number six to escape and he knows that he needs to be punished so he he voluntarily stands there and lets the judge slap him which was just yeah, kind of interesting he, he just sort of stands there and offers himself up for the slapping yeah. <laughs> so this is not the first first time he has uh, <laughs> endured these slaps apparently um and it, it occurred to me you know in in other episodes, we've talked about the scenes that wouldn't really happen mm -hmm. the way that mm -hmm. we we see them, where you're getting you're getting information or you're getting behavior that people wouldn't necessarily do when nobody was watching. Mm -hmm. uh, and this this is one of those scenes, yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean to to amplify on that, it's it's that when something else is going on that's different from what we're seeing, you know, and they all know and they're all in on it, then they wouldn't be doing these little side things when number six isn't around because the whole point is to fool number six into thinking right. this is all real right so yeah you're right i mean as we will see there's no reason any of this would happen but yeah. you know well at the end we can talk about this more because there's a there is an unusual element in this story yeah yeah and there 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 is you you could make a, a devil's advocate argument for how this scene would actually really happen uh <laughs> so yeah that's we we can get get back to that later <laughs> Once we see the shocking conclusion. <laughs> so number six, while the kid is getting slapped, number six is out for a ride trying to get out of town, but he rides by an ambush that's been waiting for him, which he's, he's right on what looks like a well-traveled path, so it's a logical place for the ambush to be set up. He's lassoed from two directions at once. It's a mm -hmm. fun little scene, actually. And he's yanked off his horse. 
But this time they don't just sling him over a horse <laughs> and ride him back to town. This time they just drag him. <laughs> Although when they get into town, we see that they are at least sometimes letting him get up and run for as long as he can <laughs> before he stumbles and falls again. Being dragged behind a horse being, you know, a classic Western thing. And mm -hmm. I feel like this lasso thing is the equivalent of Rover. Mm. Though I kind of wish they'd come up with some real interesting Western equivalent of Rover, but they don't, you know, but yeah. this is the closest there is, is people lassoing you when you try to get out. <laughs> It'd be a steam powered weather balloon. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is a, uh, this isn't Rover, but it's good enough. They, they got him back to town. They're getting back. Uh, it's, it's still dark outside, or it, maybe, it's, it, maybe it's dawn. I'm not sure exactly. But the kid is there in the town common. He's been kicked out of the sheriff's office. He's waiting there, and he watches as the henchman drag number six into the saloon to meet the judge once again. And I think we find out later the kid has been fired at this point from his job. Yeah. We, we, we don't know that now, but. Right. Yeah, he's he's been fired, but that won't last long. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't feel too bad for the old kid. So this time the judge in the saloon has a gavel, and he's calling a trial to order. Number six asks, what's the charge? The judge says, against you, nothing. It turns out that it's Kathy who's in trouble, and the charge is aiding a prisoner to escape, which is true enough, but as one of the townsfolk points out, Number six was just being held in protective custody. He wasn't a criminal, but the judge says <laughs> she didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so they charge you for thought crimes. <laughs> the judge asks her how she pleads, and there's a little odd pause that I think probably was meant for a commercial break. <laughs> After it, the jury returns to give its verdict, which is guilty, of course. Mm-hmm. The judge says he'll pass sentence later, and this is, we'll find out very soon, this is so that he has time to use Kathy as a bargaining chip. Because mm -hmm. if he just sentenced her to hanging right away, then, uh, you know, what would he do? Nothing, that's what. So, <laughs> number six says to the judge, you're a bad judge. <laughs> yeah, I thought this was a really funny insult. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, funny and true. <laughs> and uh, number six orders a whiskey. It's clear he's wanted alcohol before, but for all of McGowan's Puritan things about his characters, it's, it's clear that he, he likes his whiskey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that even uh, we even get that in uh, Ice Station Zebra. We, we saw him <laughs> drinking there, too. Uh, we'll see him doing so months and months from now. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Got to keep the timeline straight. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so the kid slides a pistol down the bar to number six. And this is a challenge because number six doesn't have his own gun. If he does have a gun, then he can get into a gunfight, which is what the kid wants. Everybody wants him to have a gun. You know, right. over and over again, I mean, the whole reason, well, we will see in a bit, it'll, it'll come up more, but so we'll talk about it plenty, but that's a huge, huge theme in this is in a way, the whole point of the story is to get number six, to give up on his principles and pick up a gun at some point. Right. And I don't know in the series up to this point, have we really seen 
any evidence that he's sworn off guns? Or, I mean, it really hasn't come up. No, has it, it hasn't been a part of this series so much, right? Maybe there's one or two places, but but just because how would you have a gun in the village? It hasn't really been a, a factor. Yeah, right. But in any event, the kid is picking a fight or trying to. He slid the pistol down the bar, but number six, he doesn't pick it up. He just lets it lie there. And so the kid, he fires two shots, and he's got a hell of a name because each of the <laughs> shots is perfectly placed to graze number six, and it leaves lines of rather orangish, unconvincing fake blood. <laughs> yeah, it looked like jelly to me. <laughs> yeah. But what I'll give them is they did do something clever as near as I could tell because you see the blood appear, which is unusual. Normally, right, you you would, there'd be a shot and then you switch and the camera and then the person already has blood on them. And my guess mm -hmm. is, if, I, if I'm correct about this, that they probably had the jelly blood under a little strip of skin and they pulled off the skin, you know, uh -huh. like with a, you know, invisible thread. That's just uh -huh. my guess. I know that's in Blade yeah. Runner. There's a really compelling shot where one of the guys is shot through the head and you see mm -hmm. the bullet hole appear. And that's exactly what they did. They just pulled off this piece oh, of skin so that the bullet hole was already underneath. Yep. Oh, well, neat. I wonder, I'd have to look at the scene again, but I wonder if you could get a similar effect if you had like a, like a long straw with some of that paint, you know, the fake blood in it and just kind of blew on it real fast. <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, well, um, yeah, we're not special effects experts, so what are we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, aside from the the color matching isn't great, but other than that, that's good. it's good effect. Mm -hmm. So after these first two shots, the judge interrupts. He's giving the kid back his old job watching the jail. Which he had about 10 minutes ago, right? So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the judge doesn't hold a grudge, apparently. But, uh... Number six slides the gun back to the kid. And here, I, I played this over and over again, trying to figure out what it was. And I, I couldn't get captions to come up. But he says something about they used to take care of a woman. Uh, here's what I heard. I heard you need two to take care of a woman. And even mm. that doesn't make a lot of sense. But the, but the way I interpreted it was the kid already has one gun. He's given number six his other gun. And number six gives it back and says, you need two to take care of a woman. And uh, I don't totally know what that means, but that, that was what I heard. <laughs> Although okay, I did, yeah. I did have a slightly dirty interpretation. <laughs> you need two to take care of a woman. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. No, that, that, that makes, that makes sense. It's kind of like, uh, it's like that Nietzsche quote, are you going to woman? Don't forget the whip. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, a whole other path. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's Nietzsche. I'm, I'm just <laughs> quoting him. Anyway, the kid was offended by the remark, but the judge restrains him once again. And then the judge makes a veiled threat about how the kid can get over-affectionate, which is to say the kid who is now going over to the sheriff's office to watch Kathy. Mm. It's sort of a, a sordid little hint that uh, if number six doesn't start playing the game, bad things could happen to Kathy. Yeah, and the judge is one of those really awful people who 
he's just giving him some information, right? It's not like he's making this happen or <laughs> anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's just trying to help everybody out of a bind. Yep. <laughs> In the sheriff's office, the kid is sitting right outside Kathy's cell. He's just pulled up a chair and he's sitting out there looking in at her, just staring rather creepily. Number six comes in and the judge shows him the badge to remind him he has options. <laughs> and six says, let her out. The judge has the kid let her out. The kid isn't happy to do it. He's not exactly Johnny on the spot, but he does he'd, it eventually. He'd rather sit there staring at her, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the judge tells number six, she's safe now, safe for as long as you work for me. Hmm. And he uh, brings the gun belt and guns over to number six, and he says, I agreed to wear the badge, but not the guns. The judge says that's okay for a start, but he says also, you'll find this a rough town without a gun. Yep, yep. Number six leaves the judge and the sheriff's office and goes outside to find his way blocked by a guy named Zeke, <laughs> mm. who says he doesn't carry a gun either because he doesn't need one, and he tries to block number six from moving anywhere. Number six decks him, but it's kind of a hopeless situation because it turns out a whole lot of people are waiting to fight the new sheriff <laughs> or the <laughs> reinstated sheriff, and it's a big, long fight. It's kind of clear they wanted to do a Western fight here. Mm. And, you know, all sorts of people punching, well, number six and him punching them back. And while this is going on, the judge has time to return to his table in the bar. And he tells his fellow people at the table that the boys are just teaching number six. It's not safe to walk around without a gun. <laughs> this comes back to that theme we talked about. It's just it really interesting that it's very important to them to get him to wear a gun, which is the opposite of the village, right? Where you're not allowed mm -hmm. to do anything dangerous. Oh, yeah, yeah. They'll consider just about anything a weapon. <laughs> yeah. And the fight goes on and on, and over time, number six gets the crap beaten out of him while Kathy watches. Eventually, number six drags himself off the ground, finishes off one of the guys, and he goes into the sheriff's office to clean up. Kathy follows, and she tells him to get out or they're going to kill him. He points out that he's tried to leave, but when he tries to leave, he just gets dragged back, and it's hard to refuse that kind of hospitality. <laughs> she lets him know she'll be in the saloon tonight, and she repeats that phrase. She says, regulars get the first one. And I was like, yeah, okay, what uh, exactly is she referring to here? The, the fir first one on the house. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah that that was, uh, I, I think... It must have been intended as an innuendo because there's just <laughs> no other way that it makes sense. Mm. <laughs> maybe she really enjoys seeing him drink his whiskey. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Just trying to be hospitable, sure. <laughs> so then we switch. It's presumably nighttime in the saloon. Kathy is going around doing her thing as a hostess. She seems to be happy, you know, presumably putting it on. She's interacting with the clientele. Meanwhile, the kid is there watching her creepily, as usual, <laughs> and one of the guys, kind of a, you know, pudgy guy, probably <laughs> looks like one of us, honestly, if we were there, um, <laughs> he was having some good-natured back and forth with her, where he sort of propositions her, and she says, what would your wife think of that? And they all laugh. You know, obviously, they're all just having a good time. And the kid is <laughs> not happy to see someone interacting with her. 
And he takes a cigar that he has that's lit, and he puts the cigar out in the neck of this guy who's flirting with her. Mm -hmm. And this guy realizes he's up a creek, right? I mean, he's he's just some normal slow. And the kid mm -hmm. obviously is like a marksman, you know, quick shooter. There's absolutely nothing he can do. Mm -hmm. But he pulls out his gun and kind of points it unsteadily. He's probably drunk. Mm -hmm. And the kid draws and kills him instantly. Yeah. And technically, I mean, pulling out his gun was, he didn't have to, at least in theory. Yeah. If he didn't pull his gun or, or put his hand near his gun, then uh, if the kid did shoot him, it would have been, you know, unprovoked. But then again, considering who runs the town and the, the way that <laughs> things can be uh, distorted. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? The guy probably just, his number was up. <laughs> yeah, number six comes in and evaluates the situation and he stares down the kid. But, you know, as you said, the crowd points out, look, Larry, I think they call him Larry. You know, he drew first. So there's nothing you can do. So there's clearly a rule yeah. about this. But they want him to do something. They want number six to do something about the kid. And they're like, what are you going to do? Why don't you get some guns on and fix this, right? So yet more pressure mm -hmm. to, to get a gun. Yeah. And we're back at the sheriff's office, and number six is sitting at his desk. And a guy comes in and says, since you're the only one to stand up to the judge... I and my friends are with you, and we want to help you clean up the town. Mm -hmm. Number six seems a little bit skeptical about this. You're going to help me clean up your town. Understandable. Yeah. I think this guy is the same one who, at the trial, he was the guy who interrupted to ask why mm -hmm. Kathy was being charged since... Six was just in protective custody. So that was probably there to try and do some early establishment of this guy as a, you know, mm -hmm. a, a buddy, some guy you can trust and so forth. Yep. Back to the saloon. And the guy who was just talking to number six comes in and orders a whiskey. And the judge comes over and says, this one's on him. And he invites the guy, I guess the name is Jim, to his table. Then he wants to know what it was he was talking to the sheriff about. <laughs> And just in case he doesn't want to say, a bunch of the judge's goons are standing around, ready to beat it out of him. Hmm. Then we cut to number six coming back to his office and finding Jim sitting in his chair dead. Hmm. So an honest guy doesn't last long in these parts. <laughs> yeah. And number six gets angry and he grabs the gun that's been provided for him and he loads it. And he's ready to strap it on, and then he thinks again, and he tosses it away, and he goes to the saloon and gets a whiskey and tells Kathy that they're going to be leaving tonight after the saloon closes. And the judge is at his table, and in his normal way of making trouble, he tells his partner at the table, you know, the kid would be real upset if he knew these two were talking. Maybe someone should let him know. <laughs> So once again, it's not that he did anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just just providing information to people. Oh, yeah. And now we're outside at night, or it's probably day for night. I think most of the nighttime stuff in this was done as day for night. Yeah. Number six is on a horse outside town, and then he, he sneaks up on one of the sentries outside town and knocks him out. And he finds another guy, and he goes through a kind of 
overly elaborate approach to taking him out. He lassos a tree branch and then swings Tarzan style <laughs> to take out the guy. <laughs> he could have just snuck up behind him or something, but <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit <laughs> elaborate, but it was fun though. <laughs> yeah. And then we see Kathy shutting down the saloon and leaving to meet number six, but turns out the kid is standing there, presumably because the judge had someone talk to him and he forcibly kisses her. She bites his lip and we get a little bit more fake blood mm. and he pushes her away. Odd shot here. He is both bleeding and crying. So you see this tear going down his face and he closes mm. in on her, clearly intending to kill her. She tries to escape and he chokes her. And it's, you know, it's not a nice choking. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Number six returns to the saloon to find her, sees the kid leaving, goes in and finds her body. The next thing we see is a really nice shot. It's a shadow profile shot of number six standing in a graveyard with a shovel, having buried her. And we just get a few seconds of kind of seeing him with the sun behind him in black profile. Mm. And we're back to the sheriff's office. Number six enters, and now he's clearly very determined, washes his hands, gets his six-shooter, arms himself, no hesitation this time, but he leaves his badge behind, which I think mm. is kind of interesting. He's like, well, I'm doing this as myself, not in my official capacity. Right. Outside, the kid is waiting for him. They quick draw on each other. They shoot. And we're just, all we can see is the kid. And it's pretty clear that he must have won because he's standing there and then he holsters his weapon, apparently victorious, and then he falls over. <laughs> and it's one of those weird things where there's no shot, no blood or anything, but he's dead. Yeah. Back in the saloon, number six is quickly downing drinks. The judge comes in. He's excited. Says, you beat him. And he was the fastest I've ever seen. Bosses do have a little secret. I just quitting. You aren't quitting while I've got Kathy. Just get it clear. You work for me. Guns and all. I haven't got Kathy any longer. She's dead. And the judge seems surprised. He says, but he was just supposed to. So clearly he had set up this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And he continues on and says, you work for me whether you like it or not. I'm not letting you join some other outfit. I'll kill you first. You got five seconds to make up your mind. And his goons are all over the saloon. And now we get a classic Western countdown where he's <laughs> counting down from five. But number six is, you know, once he's picked up the gun, he's all in. So he shoots all the goons before they can do anything. <laughs> but the judge has a little gun. You know, one of those little, I don't know what they're called, those little... um uh, it was in Django Unchained also. Um, Is it a uh, Derringer? Maybe? Yeah, probably. Yeah, he has he has a little Derringer. And he shoots number six several times. Now, I don't think that's accurate. I think you have like one shot with those Derringers. But hmm. number six is, is clearly surprised. And we get this very odd shot of him sort of standing there. And he's got blood on his head. And he starts clasping his head. And, and he's kind of rocking back and forth. And then he falls down. And then he wakes up, he's still on the floor in the exact same position, but he's now wearing his black blazer and he has some mm. kind of headphones around his ears. Yeah. And the judge is standing there with a gun, but when number six approaches, it turns out it's a cardboard stand-up. Now, this is a bit of a, you know, one of those little tricks, right? Because we see mm. the judge standing there with the gun, but then when they switch the shot, it's a cardboard stand-up. Right. And number six in his normal number six garb 
walks outside the saloon and the kid is on the ground. He goes to the kid, but when he picks him up, it's also a cardboard standup. <laughs> and then he sees the horse and the horse is a cardboard standup. <laughs> Which kind of <laughs> brings up the question to me. So, so this apparently was all fake and a lot of these things were, you know, very artificial. I'm not sure how all the horse riding was occurring <laughs> with these stand-up horses. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it was just like a muddy python in the Holy Grail. You know, they had somebody yeah, to club some coconuts together. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. And number six rushes around kind of seeing what the deal is. And then he hears the standard village, your favorite, the village marching music. <laughs> and he runs down the road from the town. And guess what? He's overlooking the village center. Mm -hmm. So somehow they have the village yeah. right next to this. It's interesting now, now that they've had the big reveal, that it's, it's very much, in, well, in some ways at least, is very similar to what people do now with virtual reality headsets and that sort mm -hmm. of stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you could probably count this as one of those cases where the show, to some extent, anticipated the uh, you know, upcoming technology. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. I think that's what they were trying to imply. And then they just had this kind of weird thing of, you know, showing the, the cardboard stand-up horses and everything. But yeah, I, I think mm -hmm. that makes total sense. And now we're in number two's big round office, modern day, and number six enters, and the judge is there, and guess what? The judge is number two. <laughs> and the kid is there in modern dress. There is an image of the town, Harmony, on the big screen. And Kathy is also there. She looks very different. She's short-haired, you know, so as a saloon girl, she had the big long hair you would expect, and, mm -hmm. and kind of a big headdress. She has like this cute little cap on, very 1960s cap, so she looks very modern. Mm. Without saying a word, number six, you know, evaluates the situation, turns and leaves. Kathy has kind of a shameful or shamed look on her face, if I remember. Yeah, right. I think she, she sort of turns away. Nah. And after number six leaves, the kid finally speaks the first words in the entire episode we'd heard from him. And says, interesting that he could separate fact from fantasy so easily. And number two says, I knew it wouldn't work. And they argue about the strategies. We had the, uh, this thing here where it was the kid's idea to do this whole thing. Number two went along with him. So even though he's in charge, he went along with a scheme that he claims he knew wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. The kid says, it's always worked. Isolate him. Give him love. Take it away. Make him kill. And the kid blames number two for not handling things properly. Meanwhile, Kathy is off to the side crying, and then she runs out of the room. I think during their discussion, if I remember right, they also make some mention of, uh, like, psychoactive drugs or, or mm. something like that. Okay, that's, I didn't pick up on that, although it would make sense, yeah. I, I could be wrong, but for some reason that's in my head. I think I think they mention that somewhere. Mm -hmm. And now we're back to the fake town of Harmony. Kathy is walking around in her modern dress. She goes into the saloon. She collapses on the stairs crying. And the kid shows up under the stairs, staring up at her. And this is this is the previous version of the kid looking at her, clearly. Mm -hmm. And Kathy's like, the game is over, number eight. So he's number eight. Mm -hmm. Well, it isn't for him. He chokes her. Uh, uh, 
and we hear a scream. And at first I thought she was screaming, but if you watch it, it looks like he's screaming uh, while he chokes her. It was very odd. Mm. And then we see number six outside. He hears the scream. He runs in. He punches out the kid. And then he holds Kathy and she says, I wish it had been real. And then she dies. Now, it's a little odd because she was just choked to death and then she dies a little <laughs> while later. I don't know quite how the timing on that works, but but yeah. it's, it's movie logic. I'm not sure. Number two drives up in a car, runs in. The kid is delusional and he jumps off a balcony and kills himself. And number six walks out and it's the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's a whole lot to talk about here. It's a really interesting, unusual episode. What did you think of it as a Western, since, you know, Magoon's goal was to do a Western? Oh, I thought it was fun. I mean, of course, the last uh, the last little bit kind of spoils the Western-ness of it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was fun. I, I enjoyed it. The idea of having a town very similar to the, the village, but in the, in the Old West, is a, is a neat little idea. So, uh, yeah, and I love the whole idea of him resigning as sheriff in this case. And, and, you know, and the fact Mm -hmm. that they just do all this and they don't, they don't give the viewer any hints as to what's going on. So you just have to figure it out. Yeah. We didn't have the benefit of the standard intro this time. Mm -hmm. So anybody who was tuning in for the first time would just, uh, they'd probably be a little bewildered when the big (laughs) reveal comes. (laughs) Now, you know, when we were kids, Westerns were the big things. And for me, it was alias Smith and Jones. I don't know if you ever saw that. Mm -hmm. It was two guys who, um, they were falsely accused of a crime they didn't commit. And the governor knows they didn't commit it, but he can't publicly exonerate them. So he sort of privately gives them permission to go about their lives. But now they have to go around to Smith and Jones, who are, you know, their aliases. And of course, they go from Western mm-hmm. Town to Western Town, solving problems as they go yeah. along. It was a fun, fun show. That sounds neat. And of course, there was uh, the Wild Wild West. That's an interesting one. Mm, yeah. You mentioned earlier, I think that you didn't really see this. So do you see, I mean, if, if you had been an American censor, would you have been concerned that this was an anti-war show? Well, the one thing that occurs to me now that we've gone to you know, rehash the plot, just the fact that he didn't want to mm-hmm. carry a gun, I could mm-hmm. I could see how people of the time could very well look at that as some kind of a hippie protesting, you know. So I mm-hmm. there is that element, and that's you know that's not a small thing, especially in a western. I mean, if anybody is going to pick up a gun. It's going to be in a Western. <laughs> so right, right. The fact that he doesn't, yeah, that that could be viewed as, I mean, I don't, whether it was or not, I don't know, but certainly I can see how people might take that as some sort of political statement. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it makes more sense than it did when, when you first mentioned it. It also makes more sense if you understand the history of High Noon, because this does have some corollaries to High Noon. And that was a very kind of political thing in the same way. You know, the guy who is disgusted with the town because they won't protect themselves and he has to protect them. Hmm. And then he throws down his badge at the end. And Gary Cooper was the star in High Noon. Hmm. And John Wayne actually went after him afterwards saying that he had played a coward and that this was an anti-American film. Hmm. So... I think it makes more sense when you know about kind of that High Noon had that sort of thing around it. 
and that okay. this has similarities to High Noon. So there's sort of a line between them. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't <sighs> realize all that about High Noon. I, re- I knew a lot of people regarded it as a classic, and I've, I've seen it myself years ago, but I... I didn't know all that political backstory about it, so that's kind of yeah. One of these days, we, I, you know, I think it's very possible we might watch it. It, it mm-hmm. has a similarity to a future Doctor Who Western where the music is a little overbearing. <laughs> it's interesting, <laughs> but overbearing. Uh, yeah. There's a couple things here where the first, I would say, few times I watched this, I, I, I was just paying attention to it as a Western and enjoying the how they were, you know mixing together the Western and, and prisoner concepts and tropes. Mm. And I didn't pick up on some of the subtler stuff that I, I got this time around, which is, in particular, this is a very different prisoner story because in their effort to change him, you know, to do some technique on him that's going to get him to tell them what they want to know, and in this case, they really want him to put on a gun, right? And that's going to be mm-hmm. the victory. And in a way, it's funny because they're not, they don't spend much time trying to get him to explain why he resigned. It's all about mm-hmm. getting him to put on a gun. But they know once they do that, he'll have violated his principles and somehow that'll be helpful to them. But they don't change him. They change themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Both the kid and Kathy end up adopting or have some of the personalities that were their Western selves. And at the end, the kid sort of reverts to that. And and I would argue mm-hmm. that when we see him in modern dress and talking normally, he seems like a very normal person. But mm-hmm. I think the real version of him is that Western version. Because as we see at mm-hmm. the end, I mean, for no reason at all, he chokes her to death. Right. Yeah, just because of the, I guess you'd call it bleeding over from the, from the fantasy yeah. into the reality. And that is also what gives me my little caveat. When I when I was talking earlier about that scene that wouldn't really happen where the judge is slapping mm-hmm. uh, the kid, <laughs> you know, there's no reason to do that if number six isn't around to see it unless there's something intrinsic to this whole mm-hmm. setup that requires a certain amount of suspension of disbelief where you've really got to act the part. Mm-hmm of the of the people and just act with conviction and and that could partially account for how it lingers with him afterwards yeah and i think you could even argue it's possible that he did do something he wasn't supposed to and he was being punished for it and they just sort of did it in character Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i have another theory here too about this put on a gun thing because patrick mcgoon as an actor was not going to sleep with women and he wasn't going to shoot people, not ever. We see him shoot a bunch of people in this at the end, but he wasn't going to shoot people without a really good reason. Yeah. So I have not read anything about this. I'm purely speculating. But I feel like McGuin here is representing him as an actor being pressured to do the things that he doesn't want to do, you know, to sleep with mm. women, to put on the gun, and that this episode kind of represents that attempt to get him to do those things. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that could be. He's definitely, from what we've heard and discussed about him so far, he's definitely not your standard Hollywood actor. He's He's got uh, <laughs> his own thing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anything else about the story? No, no, I think uh, I think we covered over most of the, most of the neat stuff. It was pretty slick. <laughs> <laughs> 
talking about the actors and come back to the kids. His name is Alexis Canner. And I noticed something in the credits, which I don't recall seeing in any other episode of The Prisoner, which is his name had a box around it. So not only did it come first in the credits, but it had a box around it. And I feel like they were really trying mm. to say, this is our star of the episode. And I know McGowan really liked him. He chose him because Alexis Kenner had been in a show called Softly Softly, which is a spinoff from Zed Cars. We've mentioned that several times. You know, every Zed Cars went for a mm. long time. Every British actor you know, went through it probably more than once. And this was a spinoff mm. that I guess Alexis Kenner was in and McGowan liked him. Hmm. Funny little thing is that, you know, I mentioned they did a lot of the preparation for this while McGowan was in Hollywood filming Ice Station Zebra. Well, he sent a note back saying that Steve McQueen was giving him quick draw lessons. <laughs> so Alexis Canner <laughs> increased his amount of practice. For himself. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> As we said, I think, uh, I mean, it's a combination of the makeup and the costume, but I just think as an actor, the fact that he goes, what, 45 minutes, you know, or something in this without ever saying a word. And he is by far the most defined character in this story. Like, you know, this person probably more than anyone else. Mm. Yeah, he does a, he does a, an excellent job. And uh, he, he's very good at being uh, creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, what do you think of number two, The Judge? <laughs> I liked him. You know, as I said, there's that kind of uh, smugness or that smarminess. There's, you know, that, that oiliness, whatever you want to call it. it. I think he does a good job of, of capturing that. Yeah, you could see this actor in, in other capacities playing a dignified elder statesman and stuff <laughs> like that. But, but in this case, he's playing just this CD judge right. number two yeah. guy. I think there's a interesting contradiction between his role in the Western and his role as number two in the Western, he's pulling all the strings, right? Mm -hmm. He, everything that happens is happening because he's trying to get a certain outcome and he's thought two or three steps ahead. In reality, he is a very passive character. It's the kid who has generated all of this. Right. So it's just kind of an odd little switcheroo. Yeah, yeah, although it's quite possible that number two was enjoying every moment of being the <laughs> jerky judge. You know, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, and uh, basically our only other character, Kathy, what did you think of her? Oh, I liked her. She, uh, she's somebody you can warm up to quickly. Yeah, terrific job. You, you definitely, by the time you get to the tragic conclusion, or well, you get, you get it twice, actually. She ends up getting, yeah. Yeah. dying the same way twice. By the time you get to that, you have just enough of a connection that you actually are sorry that it happened to her, you know, and you want to see her be avenged. Yeah, I mean, for me, I would say, as a saloon girl, many, many actresses could do that, right? It's a, It was a very, very standard character in the Westerns. So I feel like she came alive for me once we got to reality. Like, even though she mm. didn't have much dialogue or almost at any at that point, just the way she acted, I thought, made her a real person in a mm. kind of impressive way the very short time she had left. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so our official question, again, probably not hard to guess, is this episode <laughs> worth watching for a modern audience? 
Well, yeah, yeah, I'd say it is. It's definitely, uh, it's, it's definitely entertaining. And I think it's, yeah, as we, as we discussed, we've got that sort of proto virtual reality stuff involved, which is, uh, which is fun because most of the show until that was revealed, I figured there must be something going on where this is on, on some level really going yeah. on in the village, but I didn't know exactly what the you know right. what the upshot was going to be so it was an interesting little little mystery and how are yeah. they going to tie this in yeah it's it's just it's it's just fun all around i uh i liked it and i'll say even though i made fun of the stand-up horses and everything i actually think it's way more interesting this mm-hmm. weird combination of whatever they were doing to him and having these stand-ups and everything much more interesting than if he just had a VR headset on, you know, like out of Assassin's mm-hmm. Creed or, or something, because it's just yeah. weirder to think about like, oh, what was going on? You know, you're walking around looking at these cutouts and seeing them as real things and, and riding them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, uh, ordering wise, not much to say here. There's nothing about this show that puts it in a particular order. So you can kind of put it wherever you want. I think the only constraint is that, you know, you need to have seen enough episodes to know the pattern of the village and everything. You wouldn't want to put it, you know, as the second episode or something like that. Yeah. But once you get past third, fourth episode, you can kind of put it anywhere. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. Which is convenient. (laughs) Yeah. For me, there are a lot of episodes I haven't yet seen, but I'll take your word for it. (laughs) Okay, and speaking of ordering, next up in our perfect ordering of The Prisoner is Hammer and Anvil. So we will see you then. Interesting that he could separate fact from fantasy so quickly. I told you he was different. I knew it wouldn't work. Fill him with hallucinatory drugs. Put him in a dangerous environment. Talk to him through microphones. It's always worked, and it would have worked this time if you had... But it didn't, did it? Give him love. Take it away. Isolate him. Make him kill. Then face him with death. He'll crack. Break him, even in his mind, and the rest will be easy. (laughs) I should never have listened to you. It would have worked if you had kept your head and not created the crisis too soon. How could I control it? Tell me that. You said yourself we would get involved and do what we would in the real situation. <laughs> well, then don't blame my methods, just your own darn lack of self-control. 